We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Field of 68 Media Network presents Red is the New Orange, a Syracuse basketball podcast. Vince intercepts a pass, breakaway for the freshman guard, he flies and slams! Aerial assault from Judah Vince. Looking to go back door to Bell, they get it to a mere corner, three, knocks it down! Chris Bell, the sharpshooter. Bringing you everything you need to know out of the 3-1-5. Up top, Williams searches ahead, up with the right hand and in! A pretty up-and-under move from Betty Williams to beat his man. Over to Taylor. He skips into the lane, puts up a floater, and drops in. Let's get it started with your host, Ian Unsworth and Johnny Gadamowitz. Well, another beautiful Monday morning, maybe not so much weather-wise, but a beautiful morning for Syracuse fans all the same because the Orange take down the Hoyas. Syracuse has their way with Georgetown over the weekend as we welcome you on in to another edition of Red is the New Orange. Johnny Gadamowitz, Ian Unsworth with you as always as part of the Field of 68 podcast network. Make sure you give us a follow over on Twitter, F68 underscore Qs. That's where you can find all of our content and make sure you also go give a follow to the Field of 68 as a whole, they're giving you all sorts of good college basketball stuff. Busy weekend. We had Bronny James's debut yesterday. The guys were all over that. And really anything else you could want, they've got it. So make sure you go give them a follow, a like, a subscribe as well. As far as Syracuse is concerned, Ian, the Orange go down to our nation's capital and they take down the Hoyas 80-68. to Really had their way with Georgetown in the second half. And this was a game from a Syracuse standpoint that you had to win. I don't think we're going to look back and say, oh, yeah, you know, you circle that Georgetown game. That's where things really started to take a turn for the better. But all the same, it was a game you really needed. And, you know, you sort of look back at this season as a whole. They've beaten the teams they're supposed to be, and they've lost to the teams that they weren't supposed to be. And this game continued that trend. Guadir Copeland will get a lot of the love, as he should kind of emerged, at least for this one game, as that third option. Judo was spectacular. J.J. Starling took a step in the right direction. And all told, you zoom out, Ian, a lot to like. I'd call this Syracuse's most complete game of the season. Even counting the Canisius's, the even the exhibitions, this felt like the most cohesive we've seen a Syracuse team play all year. Agree? I think so, particularly defensively. And Adrian Autry said that in his press conference as well. 
it's all about stopping Jaden Epps. As we talked about last Friday, Epps is the dude that was going to stir the drink for Georgetown. He had 17 points on 17 shots. And after the first five minutes where he got to the cup, hit a deep three, he was really non-existent when Judah Mintz was guarding him one-on-one. He got the better of Quadir Copeland a couple times, but that was when Mintz was on the bench. And also Syracuse already had an eight-point lead at that point, and Georgetown showed no ability to close it down. Defensively, yes, Syracuse played its best game of the season, won the rebounding battle, didn't commit a ton of silly fouls. Judah had five steals. Malik Brown only got credit for two in the box score, but I think he has really improved over the past few games defensively when it yeah, comes he, to he was wreaking havoc. When it comes to getting out, stopping a ball handler from driving on a screen or poking it away from an opposing big man, I really like what I've seen from Malik Brown's activity on the defensive end. That's something you're not going to get from Naheem McLeod. You got a bit of it from Munir Hema in spot minutes. And I, I mean, I think you and I, Johnny, we, sh- we should like to see more of those Munir Hema minutes because he brought the energy. He had a lot of life off the bench. He blocked a shot. He was all over the place. I watched him for a couple offensive possessions, and all he did was look for the next screen to set. Look for the next screen to set. Tell someone else, hey, come here. I got you. I got you. That's really good when your team at times struggles to move the basketball. But defensively, let's let's stick there for a second. At the beginning of the broadcast, they called this Ed Cooley's best shooting team. Epps, one of nine from three. Yeah. Ish Masood, who looked out of rhythm and didn't get many good shots, like coming off a screen or anything. They threw it to him and tried to make him create. That's not his game. One of six. Jay Heath, one of five. Dontrez Styles. 0 for 3. Georgetown really shot the ball well from 3 coming into this game, and Syracuse shut him down. The only person who got consistent production in the second half was Supreme Cook cleaning up a couple of missed, missed shots. Which, sidebar, is has to be a top 3 name in college basketball. But he was the best player on the court for Georgetown. 8 of 10. Yeah, the, the defense was spectacular, Ian, and you know, you think about sort of the fact that Georgetown didn't have a lot of depth, right? They had four guys in this game play over 30 minutes of game time. There seemed like just a certain level of stubbornness to their game plan, where even in the second half, when things really started to tip in the favor of the orange down the home stretch of this basketball game, you didn't necessarily see a lot of changes from an Ed Cooley standpoint, right? It felt like it was, you know, kind of following the same formula and just hoping that things would take a turn for the better. That never really happened. And on the flip side of that, I think that's something that really could be an ace up the sleeve of this Syracuse team. And we've seen it at times this year. The fact that they have options, the fact that they have depth, they're willing to go, you know, three, four, sometimes five deep off the bench, right? You have the luxury of a guy like Benny Williams, whose role has clearly been rather reserved and limited. But you know what? As a bench piece, you take it, right? You mentioned Munir Hima, who every time he's on the court, seems like the vibes are just in a very good spot for whatever reason, whenever Hema finds his way into the basketball game. But yeah, I mean, to limit Georgetown to just five of 26 from downtown, particularly when the you know, the message of this Hoyas team coming into the night was, okay, they're going to shoot and they're going to try to let it fly. I think you really have to view that as a success. On the flip side, 
you know, talking a little bit about the offense here from a Syracuse standpoint. We here, mentioned Johnny, can, I, can, I hop in one, can I hop in on one more point you made? Yes. On uh, When it comes to options and depth, it's not just about getting extra dudes off the bench. It's having options on the floor with those different guys. Correct. You have Mintz guarding Jaden Epps. Then you put Copeland on him. It, yes, there's a bit of a drop-off, but was it severe enough that Epps got going and brought Georgetown back into the game? No. Syracuse ran the zone, I thought, most effectively on Saturday. They used it in the, in the under baseline out of bounds, which we've seen them do all year, but right. they threw it in on a couple of defensive possessions, maybe just three or four, but used it effectively enough that Georgetown couldn't develop any sort of rhythm. And other than that, they were up on Epps all night. They were hedging ball screens constantly, not letting him get downhill. Yep. And they forced him into tough threes. There were a couple times when he lost sight of the shot clock because of that aggressive pick-and-roll defense. We talked about it earlier in the year. We saw Syracuse pushing ball screens to the side, and it wasn't really working because the bigs were rolling hard to the basket. Syracuse changed the pick and roll coverage, especially because Georgetown ran a lot of stuff in the middle of the floor, and it worked. Ed Cooley had some really cool stuff he was doing offensively. They had screens for the screener. They had a lot of different movements and floppy sets to get shooters open. But Syracuse shut most of that down, and that's stuff you couldn't see Syracuse do in the past because it was all zone. But it shows that every single game, the guys are taking steps and getting more comfortable in the man-to-man defense. Yeah, I mean, Epps turned the ball over five times, and you also look at the assist total, too, for Epps. He had six helpers. Normally, when he's playing his style of game, if he's got six assists, that's probably not going to bode too well for Georgetown because in a perfect world, he's the guy you want putting the ball in the hoop. Not, not He's scoring at least 25 points. Right. Syracuse made him uncomfortable. Let, let's switch gears here, talking about this Fuse offense now, Ian. I think it's remarkable in that this team found a way to score 80 points with only five trifectas on the night. Find me some other teams in the ACC that can have a, such a productive night offensively, even when they only make five three-pointers. I don't think there are many. Um, and, you know, the, the, the shooting struggles of this team have been well-documented just in terms of maybe not having a ton of guys outside of a Chris Bell and a Justin Taylor that can stroke it. But at the end of the day, that's okay for me, right? Like, play to your strengths, right? And I think this game is really the epitome of that. They don't have to be knocking it down left and right. Do you want Justin Taylor to be more of one, more of just one for seven than the field? Of course you do. But at the end of the day, this is not a team that is going to light it up from downtown. So don't try to fit a square peg into a round hole almost. I don't know if you're on the same page as me there, Ian, or if at some point you want to see that three-point shot become more of a focal point. But I just thought it was really intriguing how this team found a way to have as productive of an offensive day as it did, even with that three-point shot not being there. Only one guy made more than one. That was J.J. Starling. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The three-pointers that J.J. Starling and Judamitz took looked very comfortable. That's what struck me about this game when it comes to a three-point shooting perspective. Yeah, Mintz airballed one, but he didn't hesitate when he took it. And after going five of seven against Cornell, he's building some momentum. If he becomes an effective shooter, watch out, ACC. Mintz Mintz is coming for the first team honors. He's coming for ACC Player of the Year, and he will probably lead the conference in scoring. If J.J. Starling can channel what he did from three-point land and off the bounce, too, he had some really nice mid-range pull-ups, whether it was from straightaway, stepping back, driving on the wing. That was his best shooting game, his best scoring game of the season. And he wasn't thinking. He was just catching and letting go. You think of that one play in, in the second half, where Judah drives all the way to the baseline, kind of gets stuck, flips it to JJ in the corner, and there's no hesitation. Starling doesn't let the ball drop below his waist. He just catches it, picks it up, and shoots and nails it. And they both celebrate with each other. That was the best moment of the game for Syracuse because you had two non-shooters shooting, making, celebrating. Yeah, J.J. had a season-high 21 points. And I think what's so important for him, you talk about that confidence and trying to develop a little bit of a rhythm. He played 38 minutes. I mean, you look at this guy's season log, he is consistently playing north of 32 minutes, pretty much on a nightly basis. And I think for him, it's so big too, Ian, in that, okay, sure, we've been spoiled with the play of Judah Mintz here in the early portion of this season, But Judah's not going to get to the line 15 times a night every night against ACC teams. He's not going to have 25 or more every night, right? He's going to have off nights. So, and we can sort of loop Quadier Copeland into this conversation too, I guess, if, you know, with whatever he's willing to give you. But to have those guys that, okay, you're not a one-man wrecking crew if Judah does have that off night, for whatever reason, we haven't seen yet, but we know is bound to come sooner rather than later. You could call that Virginia game somewhat of an off game because he got guarded by the best on-ball defender probably in the country. Correct. And he's going to have matchups like that when they get into conference play, right? He's not going to have the luxury of just taking some of these, you know, guards that he's going up against here to town in the way that he has. Um, But I think for JJ to just kind of really have him embody that guy who, okay, look, when he transferred in, that was that was immediately the message that every Syracuse fan was thinking, right? Oh, Judah and JJ, one-two punch, right? And as much as we've seen those flashes this year, it hasn't been super consistent. If he can get to a point where it can consistently be, maybe not a 1A, 1B, because you know Judah's really going to get his. But if Starling can be right there, 
you know, and, and give you, you know, similar type production of 16 to 17 points a night on an efficient night from the floor. He's not a very high volume shooter. He's not going to take a ton of threes, but if he can make two to three a game, um, I think that's something that is only going to continue to add to the sort of complexity in a good way that this team has. Bouncing off of that, Donnie Marshall, the color guy early on in the game, made a point about Syracuse's offense. And he said that isolation one-on-one basketball at the college level is mostly fool's gold. Except for when it comes to Judah Mintz. We know Judah can go one-on-one and beat his man in almost every situation. But those other guys like J.J. Starling, Justin Taylor, Chris Bell, etc., need to get their buckets off of offensive sets. Didn't necessarily see a ton of that. Syracuse moved the ball. It went a lot of side to side. There wasn't much getting it into the paint. But Starling early on did his work off the catch, and it gave him a chance to get downhill. His first basket, he caught the ball. Heath was late getting out there. Starling went right past him and got a layup. Something as small as that is a real spark for J.J. Starling. Because then that first basket gives him confidence, especially in a you know away arena where he hasn't played before, and he starts to believe in himself. If his first action is, oh, Judas passing it to me late shot clock, and I've got to create off the dribble, it's really tough because everyone knows what's happening. But when Syracuse has the ball moving, then it gives opportunities for guys like a Bell to catch and shoot, a Taylor to catch and shoot, a Starling to catch with some momentum going towards the basket and drive. Even though Syracuse wasn't running the stuff that Georgetown was running from a complexity standpoint, the constant ball movement that matriculated throughout the game, it wasn't just in the first five minutes, then the orange kind of fell off and got tired. The ball movement was consistent throughout the game and it gave a guy like Starling a chance to get to the basket. It created space for Quadir Copeland to go one-on-one and dipsy-do his way into the lane and, and do some pretty freakishly athletic things. Yeah. The ball movement all night, not just in the first five, first 10 minutes, from first to second half, it carried over. So just like on the defensive end, the consistent ball movement from start to finish is why I think this is Syracuse's most complete game of the season. The ball movement has been a motif all season long for the Orange. It was certainly on full display against Georgetown as well, and Syracuse fans everywhere hoping it stays that way as the Orange push further and further into December. Before we take a little bit of a look ahead as far as what's coming up for Syracuse, let's get a quick word from Rob Doster and our friends over at BetMGM. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM Sportsbook for this college basketball season. We're going to be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and predictions throughout the college basketball season. And we are going to have special offers for you, the listeners and the viewers on the field of 68 each and every week during the season. If you haven't signed up with BetMGM yet, use the bonus code FIELD1500 and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager on BetMGM Sportsbook. Here's what you got to do. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD1500. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if that bet loses. Just make sure you use the bonus code FIELD1500 when you sign up. 
And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient for me when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly. When cross the state borders, just log into your existing account instead of having to create new accounts in each state that you go to. And most importantly, I got to let you know, we do have some fun stuff coming up for this college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops odds boosts, my personal favorite, parlay odds boosts. So download the BetMGM app today. Johnny Gadamowitz, Ian Unsworth with you as always here on Red is the New Orange, breaking down Syracuse's 80-68 to victory over the rival Georgetown Hoyas. And all you had to do was tune into the game on Fox on Saturday morning to see there was still some juice and I know there's been some conversations of what this rivalry means. Obviously, the old Big East days just getting further and further in the rearview mirror. But it certainly had a level of liveliness. Orange fans traveled well down to our nation's capital, and it really paid dividends in a 12-point Syracuse victory. Continuing to break down some of the numbers here, how the Orange looked, what we can sort of expect moving forward. Ian, as strong as a performance as this was from a collective effort, one guy that kind of got lost in the mix a little bit was Naheem McLeod. Did start, played only four minutes in this game, and that's not as a result of foul trouble, really. He didn't even have a personal foul. But again, just another one of those games where you're going up against a team that's pretty up-tempo. His game is not really catered to that, right? So as a result, what happens you get 27 minutes off the bench for Malik Brown. I think it's time to have the conversation, Ian. I don't know if it's time to actually do it yet, but it's certainly time to have the conversation of if Naheem McLeod's only going to play four minutes and, you know, time and time again, we're seeing his role kind of diminish based on the style of play he's best suited towards. Why the heck is he starting in the first place, particularly when Brown has been giving you the production that he has off the bench? Coach Autry said he was dealing with a bit of a foot issue, so yeah. maybe that came into play. In the first half, he didn't do anything. He did absolutely nothing. In the second half, he had one really nice pass off a short roll where Syracuse stopped the screen, threw it to him at the elbow, and he kicked it to the opposite corner. But still, there isn't the impact you'd expect. Of course, when you hear Syracuse's tallest player ever, you think of a vacuum with, you know, extender, extendo arms. McLeod just isn't physical enough right now. And he didn't show that a ton at Florida State either. You just need him to bang a bit more, get more aggressive, throw his body around to clear out some space. Like, why is Zach Eady so good at Purdue? Because he owns the space he's in. He's also seven foot five, and no one is taking the ball from him. Once he catches that thing, he's got a vice grip on it, whether it's at his chest, whether it's over his head. Like he holds on to the ball with the utmost sincerity. McLeod just doesn't have that energy about him. There's not, a, there's not enough aggression, there's not enough toughness. And when Malik Brown gets in the game, you can tell the tempo picks up. You can tell the screening defense is more aggressive. Brown is fighting for every rebound. It might be a mindset thing, but it also is just Syracuse's style that Brown fits better. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I, I'm sure some of it is a reluctancy 
to kind of roll out that small ball lineup of Brown at the five, right? Someone who's only what listed at six, eight, six, nine to have that be your tallest player out there on the court. Sure. Um, I, I can see why maybe it would be a little daunting, but let me remind you, as you brought up earlier, Ian, Syracuse won the rebounding battle in this game. They were plus two on the glass with four minutes from the McLeod. So it's not as if McLeod has been some otherworldly rebounder where, okay, oh boy, you're taking him off. And all of a sudden, you don't know where your next board is coming from. No, in fact, it's been quite the opposite. When Malik Brown has been on the court, he has been flying all over the place, tracking down the boards, whether it be, you know, as you brought up on our previous podcast, whether it be three-pointers that are really ricocheting off the rim rather hard and you don't know what direction they're going in, or, you know, the higher quality looks where you have a better guess as to where you need to be to corral that board. But at the same token, you know, I I just think I I would encourage this coaching staff and and maybe a little bit, you know, I say that the reluctancy to have the small ball lineup, we don't really know to what extent that's true. But from an outside perspective looking in, I think that has to be a part of it, right? Like, particularly with the way a lot of these teams play, it, it can't feel good going up against guys that might have somebody who's 6'10", 6'11", dare I say seven feet. And the tallest guy you're bringing to the table is Malik Brown. But again, it goes back to my point earlier about the three-point shooting where don't shy away from who you are, right? Like if if Malik Brown is going to give you the best option to win basketball games, don't let the fact that he's two inches shorter than you want him to be prevent that from happening. And I'm just curious to see to what extent we maybe see some change moving forward, particularly if this foot injury for McLeod is anything bigger than it was initially made out to be. Brown also had good moments against bigger players. He worked on Drew Fielder a little bit in the post. He spun past him for a layup. He's aggressive enough and he's physical enough that he can bang with bigger bodies. I don't think that's a problem. And also, if if McLeod isn't cutting it, I mean, look, Munir Hema, you can certainly sub him in for five minutes at a time. At the least, he's two fouls. At the most, he's energy in the post. He's a bit better of a rim protector than Brown. And he'll at least stand there and and be a threatening presence. And he's at least agile enough to step out on a screen or two and wave his arms and cause a bit of a problem. McLeod just gets caught in the paint sometimes. And once Syracuse plays a team with more ball handlers than just a Jaden Epps, that might be a problem if they can switch it from side to side and then drive past him. I mean, we saw Rowan Brumbaugh make a couple nice wraparound passes that caught McLeod a little slow-footed. So that's something to keep in mind. If Syracuse is getting beat off the dribble and McLeod just isn't reacting quickly enough, there are other seven-foot options that SU can bring off the bench. It's not like McLeod is their only big, big guy. I mean, I guess he certainly adds more offensively than Hema, but when you're getting four points in zero minutes, what are you adding offensively? Nothing. Right. Well, we might not necessarily get our answer all too soon. Orange got to wait a little while before they suit up. The next team they do play is Oregon, who had a seven-footer that was contributing earlier on in the year but hasn't played since mid-November. So it's a little bit of a smaller Oregon team. But the Orange in a, a neutral site game in South Dakota, and we'll have plenty of coverage coming up later in the week as far as the Orange and the Ducks are concerned. Yeah, we'll hear from Shane Hoffman who writes for the I-5 Corridor, Portland Tribune, a lot of Oregon and Oregon State knowledge throughout many years. 
out there on the West Coast. So that should be a fantastic preview and in-depth, everything you need to know about the Ducks before Syracuse goes to South Dakota, of all places, Sioux to play Falls. a basketball you, you, game. You ever been to Sioux Falls? Uh, no, and I don't think I know anywhere near anyone Mount Rushmore? I, I, Johnny, I have no clue. I, I got to get up to speed on my South Dakota. Once we get west of Chicago, it's all a blur to me. Well, it's coming up this Sunday. A little bit of a layoff. So it'll be what? An eight-day layoff at that point as everyone across the country really dealing with final exams and all sorts of things, academically speaking. But the basketball yeah, does It's a good thing we're not doing that anymore. We, we are not doing that. We have I kissed those finals goodbye final and for good reason. It is Syracuse and Oregon. It's coming up next weekend. Of course, we'll have our podcast later in the week previewing that matchup a little bit more specifically. But for now, Orange fans feeling good. Syracuse takes down Georgetown, a 12-point victory for the Orange. That's just about going to do it for this edition of Red is the New Orange. Alongside Ian Unsworth, I'm Johnny Gadamowitz saying so long. Enjoy some off time from Syracuse Hoops this week, but get ready because only two more non-conference games before ACC play gets going. And then it's a freight train from there. We're excited to have all the coverage for you all winter long here on Red is the New Orange. We'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.